Hello, and welcome to the Lake Forest Church Huntersville Sermon Podcast. We are a community of skeptics, spiritual explorers, and longtime followers of Christ. To learn more about who we are as a church and how you can get connected, visit lakeforest.org. Good morning, Lake Forest. My name is Maria Furlow, and if I have not had the honor to meet you, I am the missions team leader here at Lake Forest, and I'm so excited to be here with you this morning. I brought my handy-dandy trash bag with me to share with you one of my personal theories as to why this whole off-kilter pandemic world-shaking thing happened in March. And got a few more in there that... Does this mean you're a Bucks fan now? I'm sorry, what? No, I, no. Jeff, you stay with your team, okay? No, Just no, so no. everyone knows, you can stop asking me, okay? All right. And better news, way better news, I just want to thank you, thank you, Lake Forest. You have been rocking, living on mission during this whole thing, and I want to especially thank you on behalf of Caterpillar and our neighbors in Huntington Green for all of the food and generosity that you have brought in these past weeks. Just last week, Somebody from Lake Forest donated over 80 pounds of chicken, and the week before, an entire truckload of fruits and vegetables. You guys are so awesome, and we ask that it keeps coming. For as long as we need food, they will need food, so thank you. Caterpillar is also opening up the opportunity to be a virtual tutor for some of the children involved in Caterpillar Ministries. So if that's something that you would love to be involved in, you can email Jody at caterpillarministries.org. They would love to get you plugged in there. I would like to give a huge thank you and a shout out to those who have come serve alongside me and other Lake Forest members at the Second Harvest Food Bank in Charlotte. And as a tiny side note, on Thursday, we got to serve alongside the National Guard, and we broke the North Carolina record for the most pallets of food packed during this whole thing, right? It's not. We're Lake Forest. We are competitive, and we rock. It's awesome. Uh, (laughs) The last thing that I would like to let you know is in the lobby, we have added a, a collection bin for the Charlotte Rescue Mission, Dove's Nest. And at lakeforest.org slash Huntersville, you can see the list of things that Charlotte Rescue Mission needs, which is toiletries, washcloths, things like that, as well as the food list still for Caterpillar. So you can do that. Thanks. Uh, And some of you may remember that a few weeks ago, we came together to write over a thousand personalized notes to every staff member at the Novant Huntersville Hospital. Uh, So I just wanted to read to you a text message that Pastor Mitch received. Mitch. I cannot thank you enough for all the cards that came yesterday. I rounded up many of our team members, and they were overjoyed, some of them in tears. It meant so much to all of them. Thank you so much. That, that is awesome. And Lake Forest, you have been generous throughout this whole thing, not only in your service and your donations, but in your tithes and offerings, and we are so grateful. It is so important in these times, so thank you. If you call Lake Forest home, you can give by going to lakeforest.org backslash give, or you can use the text to give function. You can see the info on your screen down below. However it is you choose to do it, we just want to say thank you. Last week, we started something after service. We did Q&A with Mike, and we would love to do that again this week. So throughout the sermon, 
Don't be shy. In the comment section, on Facebook, on live stream, type in your questions. It can be about something that Mike is teaching on, a passage, or maybe just something that you've been experiencing this past week. Plug that in there, and then stick around after service. We're going to go through those questions with Mike. Uh, and another thing we did last week was we let you guys pick which fruit of the Spirit we talk about this week as we continue on in our series entitled God Within Us. The votes have been tallied, uh, and by a great majority, you have selected to talk about self-control. Uh, now, since memes are one of the silver linings of the coronavirus, I thought we'd show you this picture of a dog practicing self-control. Yep, that, that would be me if those were Krispy Kreme donuts. Uh, but but in, all, in all seriousness, we understand that this particular season, this has been challenging for people who struggle with self-control, with addictions, whatever those may look like, whether it's drugs and alcohol, pornography, food, anger, whatever the case may be, we know that this has been a hard time. And so I want you to know two things. First, I want you to know that you're not alone. I know those feelings intimately. So you are not alone. You don't have to be ashamed. And second, I want you to know that there is hope. I am living, breathing proof that there is hope. When you put your faith in Christ, the God of the universe puts his spirit in you, and through that, anything is possible. So before we continue on in worship, will you let me pray for you? Lord, I pray right now for each and every person who hears my voice, God, that they would know your presence and your power, that you would take away shame, God, that you would let them know there is freedom possible that through the power of your Holy Spirit, you would give them a self-control that goes beyond willpower. That one that does not rely on their strength, but on yours. We pray these things, God, with gratitude and expectation. We love you, we trust you, and we pray this in your name. Amen. Well, hey, good morning, Lake Forest Church. Uh, it's Mike Moses, lead pastor here at Lake Forest Church, Huntersville. It's great to see you today. Uh, in particular, uh, we're aware a number of you joining us, not just from here around town, but around the country and around the world. We're glad that if you're maybe you're connected with somebody who is a part of Lake Forest or uh, you found us, we're just glad you're worshiping with us. Uh, it's great to be here. And I, I want to, uh, we're live, we're emphasizing that we we want to stay live at 10 a.m. Um, on Sundays so that there's a dynamism. I'm doing this at the same time you are. And so just like last week, I'm going to start a new tradition. I got my coffee. I got some special coffee from Seattle. So get your coffee cup or your little veggie drink that you juiced this morning. And uh, I'm going to count to three, and let's all take a sip together, okay? One, two, three. Nicely done. The worship team just did that as well. Um, parents, uh, uh, I, I'm enjoying being here. I've got a picture of my parents here beside me. I haven't been able to see them in person since this whole thing started. I'm hoping to do that soon. I know you have things you're hoping to do soon as well. Um, parents of younger children, remember, remember we have just a 20-minute kids' worship particularly for younger elementary kids, that comes on at 9 a.m. on our Facebook page. And you can do that weekly. I suggest you get in the rhythm of, of weekly, the Sunday Sabbath. Keep that rhythm with your, your children. Um, and uh, I am trying to keep the, the, the sermon PG because I know there's kids in the room, but also feel free to let them go play and then later do some things at their, uh, their age level, their cognitive level. Now let's get to it. <laughs> 
with a little bit of hand sanitizer and a Jordan tongue wag. Let's get to it because I'm loving this series forcing me to relook into and depend on the Holy Spirit. Um, there are nine fruit of the Spirit, and I want us to read them aloud together right now in Galatians 5, our main scripture. So let's stand to honor the reading of God's Word, and let's read these together. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You can have a seat. Thank you. Let's talk keeping in step for the first part of the sermon, and then we'll get to one of the fruit of self-control. Why is keeping in step with the Spirit so important to be a spiritual person following Jesus? Well, because for too many believers in Jesus, the Christian life boils down to simply doing the best they can. There's no dynamic, no sense of spiritual power or elevation, no real distinctive that can be attributed to anything in their life, for, to anything other than just uh, discipline and determination. I know many Christians whose daily Christian doctrine can be summed up with two statements. Hey, nobody's perfect and God understands. <laughs> Those things are true, but they don't have to be our entire lived experience. Somehow the details of life for too many followers of Jesus are absent a touch of the divine with any regularity. After all, hey, business is business. Boys will be boys. Everybody's doing it. We have to be realistic and on and on and on. These pithy statements often unfortunately serve as the real foundation of our Monday through Saturday lived theology. And they represent a chasm between what we sing on Sunday and how we experience life the rest of the week. What I'm describing is what some old classic preachers call living the defeated Christian life. One of our most resonant Facebook comments in the scroll during the sermon last week uh, uh, that we addressed in the podcast was this. Hey, it seems like there's so often little visible difference between the lifestyle, thought life, and character habits of self-described Christians and everyone else. And that fact drives people away from being interested in learning about Jesus. Why is a God more forceful to make us live out the fruit of the Spirit? It was a good question. As well-known, on the other hand, as well-known Texas pastor Tony Evans often is heard to say, our lives are meant to be a running commercial announcement of a coming kingdom led by Jesus. When Jesus said, you will be a light in the darkness. When Jesus said, hey, be my follower and be a shining city set on a hill. He meant your life and mine are meant to be, more importantly, he wasn't just talking stuff that can't happen. More importantly, your life can be a billboard for God's kingdom. It can be a foretaste of the far country where love, truth, justice, and personal goodness that just radiates out of a person are everything. That's that coming kingdom. And your life can smell like that. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians that, that you can live as an aroma 
of the kingdom that Jesus exhibited and displayed and inaugurated through his incarnation, his crucifixion on a cross on, to atone for your sins and his resurrection from the dead. Your life can smell like his kingdom. <laughs> that smells good. I want to smell like that. <laughs> so it's no wonder, however, that many non-Christians are not interested in learning about Jesus because you know why? They know too many Christians <laughs> living the defeated Christian life. I remember one night in my fraternity house during college, uh, a guy named Bob who I was friends with, he was not a self-identified Christian, but he had attended one or two of the Bible studies about Jesus out of the Gospel of John that I held weekly when I lived in the, in the house. And we were, we were upstairs brushing our teeth in the shared frat house bathroom, which was a nasty place, and we were actually talking about the symbology of, uh, uh, in the book of Revelation for some reason, and he brought up that our frat house had this Diet Coke budget for our parties for me and my Christian friends uh, when we came to the parties. And Bob said something that struck me. He said, Mike, I'm still considering, I'm beginning to consider if Jesus is God and Lord or not. And I'm not, I don't know about that. But I never considered it in high school because every Christian, self-professing like, hey, I'm a Christian, that I knew was a bigger jerk than me. Um, but I'm considering it now. And, and part of it is because, Mike, you, you just seem to be somebody who's not a Christian by a label, well, that's a fact of my life, but you're actually um, trying to live it uh, and actually walk with Jesus, and, uh, and, and I admire that. I stopped with my toothbrush and said, Bob, first of all, that's the best compliment I've ever received, and second of all, I really don't deserve that. And I was back in my bunk bed with my buddy, uh, with my roommate, um, I think he had the top bunk, I had the lower. And I was praying that night, and I remember saying, thank you, Lord, that at least a little bit of the fruit of the Spirit is, is coming through your Spirit through me. Um, thank you for that. And, and, Lord, as I grow old, would you supernaturally give me the same zeal for holiness and for loving others with the gospel? Would you give me that same zeal that I have right now at the age of 20? That was my prayer. 18 to 24-year-olds who are worshiping with us instead of gaming for a moment. Do not believe the internal cultural lie. Hey, I'm too young to be all serious about Jesus. No, you're not. You're too young to not set your sights and your life on Jesus right now instead of giving your prime years over to stupid stuff and trifling habits that will honestly cripple you in some areas of your life later. Dude, live a life of following Jesus' lordship, keeping in step with his spirit now. And love the heck out of all your, your, your friends who may be stuck in the, hey, I'm young and doing stupid stuff phase. You just love the heck out of them. You follow Jesus. There's no too young or too old for this. Now, there's not only a personal and relational cost to you and I when we li live a defeated not empowered by the Holy Spirit Christian life, there's an eternal mission of God cost to it. Because in the words of Charles Stanley, people are God's chosen method for reaching other people with God's love offered through Jesus. What kind of people? Men and women whose lives and lifestyles have been deeply transformed by the truths of the Spirit of Scripture. People who have discovered the wonderful Spirit-filled life. 
That's from his book by that same title, and I recommend it highly if you are going far into the truths about the Holy Spirit during this series, friends. Hey, God is looking for imperfect people like you and me who are ready to learn to walk in moment-by-moment dependence upon and surrender to the Holy Spirit. It is these followers of Christ whose lifestyles are empowered and directed by the Holy Spirit. That's through whom God will reach this post-Christian generation of our town, our nation, and our world. Because 85% of people say they came to faith in Jesus through a friend. So it, it's, it's about you. This is life mission stuff for you. It's not just about you. This is a high calling that has eternal results and meaning. So I just want to say there is hope for those of you considering trusting Jesus for the first time. There is spiritual power and dynamism found when you follow Jesus and you learn to keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And I want to say there's hope for Christians who've almost given up and raised the white flag. That just didn't work for me. There is hope for you. It's found in the Holy Spirit. Our hope comes from a promise Jesus made at a time his closest followers were about to give up hope because Jesus said he was about to leave them and go back to the Father. John 14, 18. Jesus said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. And they were like, oh, Jesus, that's so comforting. And then 40 days later, he left them. <laughs> like, wait, you just said, I won't leave you. I'll come to you. And you left. And it's no stretch to say that many of us who struggle with a, a ho-hum Christian faith, we feel like abandoned orphans by Jesus sometimes when, when it comes to our life. Like, I feel like I'm doing my best, but I'm disappointed. I'm, not, I'm directionless. I'm not finding any spiritual power. But Jesus promised but I'll come to you to empower you. Well, Jesus tells us God is looking for something different than our best, something different than, well, the old college try. God is looking for a lifestyle and a character formation that supersedes our best willpower, a life we could never achieve through our own efforts. And so he goes on to promise, John 16, verse 7, I tell you the truth. I love it when Jesus starts stuff out. Okay, I was already paying attention because you're Jesus. Now I'm extra paying attention. I tell you the truth. It's better, better for you that I go back to my heavenly father because if I don't go, the helper won't come to you. But if I go, I will send the helper to you. See, this promise of a helper who we learned is the Holy Spirit was Jesus' way of tipping us off to the profound truth that you need to know for sure and act upon. Here's this truth. The Christ-like life described in the Bible is impossible without outside help. Again, in the words of Charles, Charles Stanley from the book I just quoted, the Christian life is not just simply difficult. Jesus knew it was impossible, so he promised to help her. Let this be a liberating truth for you this morning. You're like, what's so liberating about telling me it's impossible to live the Christian life? That feels defeating. No! It explains why trying to live as a Christian might have been so frustrating for you. And it's liberating because now you know there's also nothing wrong with the system. I've had people be like, I tried to be a Christian, didn't work out for me, oh well. No, no, there's nothing wrong with the system. This is good news. The problem for most of us is we've been trying to live the spiritual life without the help of the Holy Spirit. And we... And, 
And sadly, it means we're hiding the supernatural, daily spiritual side of our faith. That today's population of spiritual but not religious people are so hungry for that touch of the divine in their everyday life. And if that's you, if you're a spiritual but not religious person, I'm so glad you're with us. Now, case in point, if the first 11 apostles who walked and talked with Jesus daily for three years, if they needed the Holy Spirit's help to live as billboards and a fragrance of God's kingdom, then so do I and so do you. And if nobody instructs us, however, through the Bible on how to walk, to keep in step with the Holy Spirit, then we will eventually settle for a life of mental belief without spiritual power in our actions, our character, our words, and perhaps most importantly, in our self-talk. So in this series, week by week, we're partly unfolding new aspects of who the Holy Spirit is and how to keep in step with the Spirit. And then we're doing so through the lens of each of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, on Facebook, as Jeff said earlier, last week you all told us the next fruit of the Spirit that you struggle the most with and would like addressed is the fruit of the Spirit, self-control. First of all, you said patience, and that was last week. Then you said self-control. And the Apostle Paul, of all people, struggled with this fruit as well in his life. It's recorded in Romans chapter 7 verse 15. I do not understand what I do, he says. For what I want to do, I do not do. But what I hate, I do. For I have the desire to do what's good. I can't carry it out. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Man. Friends, who does not understand that part of the human experience? I know Kermit the Frog understands (laughs) in one of the the, the memes at this time. uh, Hello, may I please speak to Jesus? Because these folks in lockdown with me are going to make me break at least four of the Ten Commandments. (laughs) And I think I speak for all of us when I say with the next meme, I have abs absolutely no self-control when it comes to snacking right now. (laughs) Okay, here's what I want to do. Now we're turning the corner to self-control. I I have a question for you. Um, What is my greatest self-control temptation or victory right now during this stay-at-home time? Would you discuss that with the people who are with you? Or if you are not with anyone else, text your mama the answer to the question. What's my greatest self-control, temptation, or victory during this stay-at-home time? Go. Okay, I hope you named something. Um, uh, That's not a very hard question for me to answer. I'm going to answer it to you. I'm going to give you my answer in just a little while. Um, 
the fruit of the Spirit is self-control today. And, and what the word in the Bible means is, is what you think it means. It, it's a, two words put together, the, uh, one word uh, in the Greek language for self and the other for dominion or rule over. So it's about self-mastery. I would say it involves self-leadership, but it's not the same as self-leadership. It's a little bigger than that. Now, uh, interesting, there was a famous study done about self-control in the early 70s, and it's ongoing today at Stanford University. It was a study on delayed gratification, which is sort of a synonym for self-control. And here's what they did. Over a bunch of years, they brought in 653 four-year-old kids. They turned a camera on, and they would bring one child in the room at a time, seat them at a table, put a big fat marshmallow on a plate in front of them, talk about how delicious marshmallows are, and then they would say, hey, you can eat this marshmallow right now, or if you can wait for 15 minutes till I come back in the room, I'll bring you a second marshmallow, and now you get two. See ya, I'll be back in 15 minutes. And then the adult would leave, and the camera would roll. Here's some of what the camera captured. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow for you. You can either wait and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. So I'm going to leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay. Now you can have both. You need him. <laughs> Here, here's what they discovered. 15% of children, of the four-year-old children, ate the marshmallow immediately, like right away. The average child lasted three minutes alone with the marshmallow before eating it. But 30% of these four-year-olds waited the 15 minutes, like that last boy, and they got the second marshmallow. And many of those, that 30% who made it, they, they were observed coming up with strategies to exercise self-control. Uh, so they picked back up with these kids later, which is super interesting to me, um, uh, later in life when they were in high school. And the 30% who had exercised the self-control with a marshmallow at, at the age of four, they scored 200 points higher on the SAT as high schoolers. Now, this is a lot of... This is a high sample of people. That's dramatic. And as they got older, they found that that, that 30% who had demonstrated self-control as a child had significantly better relationships, more friendships, a number of positive outcomes in life. This makes sense, doesn't it? Like, I don't need Stanford University to tell me that. 
It's kind of common sense. Let me show you the distillation of the study written by the author, Dr. Michelle, the, uh, the author of the study. Look at this. Regarding good things which need to be kept in moderation, right? The marshmallow wasn't a bad thing, but it was to keep it in moderation. Self-control is the ability to come up with strategies for delayed gratification so we don't focus on the thing we want and or shouldn't have. Uh, Dr. Michelle found that, that most of us struggle with the same things, and the question uh, wasn't that the answer in the study was not which kids had more willpower. It was about who tried out strategies to resist temptation with self-control. In other words, the study found none of us can say, you know, I just don't have willpower that other people do. No, 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 that's not what it's about. It's about caring enough and taking responsibility for self-leadership enough to come up with creative strategies over what you're wrestling with, while as a Christian, the extra power of leaning into the Holy Spirit. Dr. Michelle observed that kids and the strategies they made up, you saw some of it in that clip. Some children, they covered their eyes with their hands so they wouldn't stare at the, at the marshmallow because they, they saw that any kid who just stared at the marshmallow, they ate that before the 15 minutes. Some of them covered their, their strategy was that. Some of them's strategy was to rest their head on their arms. Some of them uh, found other ways to avert their eyes from what they called the reward object. Um, uh, like some of them talked to themselves, some of them sang, somebody, some of them invented games and, and walked around the rest of the room, and one even fell asleep. Um, uh, let me give you an example um, of a self-control strategy. What I mean by strategy from my own life. I could give you plenty of negative examples, and if I have time, I'll tell you one later. But let me give you a positive one from my life. Because um, I think you know by now, you know me. I know I don't have it all together, so I can give you one positive example. Taking out the trash became an issue in me and Angie's marriage. In marriages, often it's the little things repeated daily. They either build up uh, frustration, tension, and hostility even, or they don't. And trash was one of my jobs. Angie and I have always uh, operated well with a clear division of labor. Who does what inside the house and outside the house? We have to be super clear about that. And Angie told me one time, she said, Mike, um, I just need to tell you something. Whenever I put something in the trash can under the sink and I, it's like 99% full, and I know that you just put something in there and you saw it 99% full and it's your job, here's what it feels like to me, okay? It feels like you're treating me like you're made and you're just waiting to make me tra take the trash out. I was like, baby, that's not what I mean. But I had to listen to her and realize that's what my actions were communicating. And so I was like, I can't remember. I, I just can't remember to do it. I know I'm going to do it sometime. But that's what it was doing to her. And so I decided, first of all, what kind of husband who loves his wife won't respond to that simple request and figure it out? Like, am I going to spend the rest of my life battling over small junk like that? <laughs> I, no, I want to be the guy who just takes the trash out. If that little thing communicates love and cherishing to the daughter of God that God gave me. But my problem is... I don't have the self-control in my mind to remember stuff like that in the moment. So I came up with a strategy. Anytime I put something in our trash under the sink, and it's anywhere close to 75% full, okay, that's, that's what I chose. I just immediately I salivate and take it out. Like it's just a decision I made, and I take it out. No matter if I'm about to be late to an elder meeting, to a tea time, or to my parole officer hearing. 
I just take it out, even if I'm late. It's a, it's a self-control <laughs> it's a self-control strategy to communicate love to my wife because I do actually love and adore her, and I need self-control to communicate that in the small irritations of life. I want to take them out of play in our relationship. Think about it. Where do you need a self-control strategy in a relational issue with somebody close to you? Where maybe you've kind of been saying, well, that's just how I am. Or I can't remember to do that. No, you're not. And yes, you can. <laughs> you need a strategy. And then as a Christian, the Holy Spirit will be your helper if you talk to him about it in the moment. We need self-control regarding good and enjoyable parts of our life so that we can use them in moderation. Now, research and experience tell us when you realize something that's good in moderation is a self-control issue for you, come up with a strategy or two. And then talk to the Holy Spirit about the Holy Spirit's power to live out those strategies. Uh, Now, I told you I'd share a negative example of my own self-control. Here's my new snacking jam during the shutdown. In addition to spicy pickles, it's buffalo cauliflower dip. Oh, man, it is so good. And see, here's the deal. In my brain, I'm like, it's cauliflower dip, so it's like negative calories. But then I just keep going and going and going, and the Triscuits start accumulating right around here, the midsection of my body. So this first kind of self-control. Things that are, that we can, that are good and we can do them in moderation or something like a habit to love someone in a relationship. But another kind of self-control, the final one is this. Certain things are completely bad for us. They hurt us. They are what the Bible calls sin. They are against God's character and against God's will for our life. And if you're a follower of Jesus, you desire the good because you're learning who God is. And God is the highest good in the universe. And you want your entire life to be in sync with or congruent with that goodness. And yet, we're drawn toward the things that we don't want to do. Just like the Apostle Paul described, he was too. I don't do the good I want, but the evil I don't want to do, I do. That's what life is like for many of us. What are you wrestling with where you need self-control in the area of a temptation towards sin? It's probably a besetting sin. Where is a Christian? You're like, I want God's best in my life, but I keep doing what I don't want to do. And this is, just to name it, Regarding bad things, which we need to resist completely, this is what's called temptation. This is where temptation meets up with self-control. Dr. Michelle wrote, back to the marshmallow study, that if you're thinking about the marshmallow, looking at it, smelling it, how delicious it is, you're going to eat that. And that was one of the findings. The kids who stared at the marshmallow ate it quickly. It was the ability to avoid thinking about it or focusing on it that made the difference. And this is true with temptation to do hurtful or sinful or a shameful thing for you and me. What are you focusing on? What are you thinking about? Are you putting yourself in a situation where you stare at this, whatever this is for you? And I'm not going to have you discuss this or text it to your mama, more importantly. But I think you know what it is in your life. I want to offer you five ways to combat this temptation, five ways to deploy the fruit of the Holy Spirit called self-control in the face of temptation. And and these are from a a global leadership summit talk by Adam Hamilton, and I thought it was just a fantastic way. I want to gift you 
with the five R's of temptation. Number one, remember who you are. And remember God's word about the situation. You are someone's husband and wife. You are someone's dad or mom. You are someone's child. And you are a child of God, a person of worth. And a child of God acts like a person with God's family DNA inside of them. It's the Holy Spirit who enacts that DNA. Example, online pornography became a temptation for me as a man, just like for most people when the Internet became widely available you know, a, decade, a couple of decades ago. Um, all of a sudden, this is available in the privacy uh, of your own life. And I was like, remember, I'm called to love others, including women, as persons of great worth, uh, not as things to be used. And, and, and gosh, if I started really using pornography, that's going to contribute to the degradation and, in some cases, enslavement of one more female in this world. And that's a sickening thought to me as I remember who I am and help distract me. It's a strategy for resisting that temptation. Number two, recognize the consequences of your actions. Will I be more free or more enslaved as a human being by this action? Who will be hurt by these actions? Fantasize about the worst possible outcome instead of the best. That was what was helpful to me also with this same issue. Like, um, my, I, was, I fantasize. I'm like, my laptop is owned by the church, and I'm, I, I'm inept at fixing it, so whenever it goes wrong, I hand it to somebody on staff, and they're like, fix, 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 fix. And, and, and dude, I love my job. I like my job. I like being able to pay my bills. I don't want addiction to pornography to put me in the unemployment line and threaten my family's future. So that's just plain off limits to me because it represented, I, I came to associate it with unemployment. That was a recognition. That's a strategy that helps with resisting temptation. Number three, here's where the Spirit comes in. Rededicate yourself to God. Stop, drop, and pray to the Holy Spirit the moment you recognize a temptation's coming on. Pray to the one Jesus called your helper, and he will help. He's right there, God within you. This activates the Holy Spirit X factor, the divine X factor in your life, and brings dynamism into the moment of temptation. Number four, Reveal your struggle to a trusted friend. The Bible says confess your sins to one another and pray that you might be healed. So again, the same example. Uh, me and an old friend during the early days of Internet stuff, we, we set up a program on each other's computers that generated a, an online traffic report and emailed it automatically to one another about the other as uh, uh, helping each other and holding one another accountable. So I wonder for you, that temptation that you face most regularly, who is one trusted friend that you're going to talk over your strategy in the face of the, this temptation? Talk over at least two strategies this week. Friends, this is what God's Word says. It's the other way to activate the Holy Spirit through interaction with a friend. Uh, I'm telling you, it, in a, it, that alone brings Holy Spirit dynamism into the temptation factor. And finally, five. Remove yourself from the situation. Jesus said, if your eye is going to cause you to stumble, pluck it out. He didn't mean literally, but he's saying take drastic strategies to live a pure life. Get out of there. Stop attending the situation. Now, I can't leave the Internet when it comes to that temptation, but I can have shared accounts on Netflix, for example, with my wife. That's a strategy 
There are strategies that help us resist temptation and call on the Holy Spirit to bear the fruit of self-control in us. Now let's finish. The Bible only mentions self-control four times. It's not one of the most esteemed virtues for Christians biblically. In fact, the Apostle Paul told us there in Romans 7 that by itself, human will to self-control doesn't work. The goal is not only self-control. It's surrendering my control to God so that God is in control through the Holy Spirit. The lifestyle that keeps in step with the Holy Spirit is a lifestyle of complete surrender to God. And this is the idea in the Christian faith, surrender and confession. God, I can't do this on my own. Forgive me, save me, live the life of Christ through me, Holy Spirit, because I can't do it, but you can through me. Remember the Apostle Paul in Romans 7, he said, I I can't do this. Look at the answer he gives in verse 24 of Romans 7. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me? Here's the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. Through his death and resurrection, he offers us the helper to be the divine presence within you and me daily, hourly. And we just daily, literally or figuratively, get on our knees again and say, Lord, I surrender myself to you. And in the midst of temptation, staring at the marshmallow, Lord, I surrender to you. I can't, but you can.